You are listening to Normalized Crime, an in-depth look at gang life and all the effects that come along with it. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Normalized Crime. I'm Eric. And I'm Berto. And Berto, what do you got for a topic for us today? <clears throat> so, I'm going to rewind a little bit. I think, uh, I think we kind of talk about a lot of stories that kind of got me to where I'm at, you know, more recently. But I kind of got a story about, you know, when I actually first got locked up for the first major time, so to speak, when I went to uh, Ethan Allen. And, and I think maybe that'll give some perspective about how this kind of this whole pattern started and, and just where it started from. So that case was from 2001. And I was actually 13 years old, six days before my 14th birthday. <laughs> what a so, birthday present, huh? Yeah. So I was growing up really fast, right? So basically, you know, there's so many different variables I can bring into the story because it's a complex, you know, there's all kinds of people involved. So I'll try to minimize it and, and, and dull it down a little bit the best I can. So, you know, around that time, obviously, we partied a lot. We had a party house that we hung out with. It was on like 26 and Forest Home. And so I remember... Around that time, we ended up, when I say we, it was me and Chico. And, and if you, you know, once you get into my story, you'll know I ended up living with Chico and, and you know, I ended up becoming a king actually in his basement. So um, that's just going to come along with familiarity with my story. But so anyways, I remember me and him, we ended up uh, getting possession of a gun that belonged to uh, one of the top guys. Right. And so we had it basically for safekeeping. It wasn't like to walk around and to use or to show it off. It was a nicer gun. You know, obviously we're younger, so we were used to, you know, using whatever came along. <laughs> so this was a nice gun, though. This was like a, it was a, it was a nine millimeter. It was a Smith & Wesson. Yeah, super nice gun. So we weren't supposed to use it, right? So I remember that night, man, we were at a party over there on 26th, and I got a call from Chico. Chico didn't end up coming to the party, and he goes, I can hear uh nancy it's his mom in the background i called her mom too man she was like a mom to me uh, great woman she actually took me in when i first you know ran away from home and then but uh, but anyways i can hear her in the background yelling you know chico's like bro you gotta come get the gun like you know uh my mom found it she's tripping out on it and i'm like all right i'm like i can hear her like get this shit out of my house you know she's she's back there going crazy right <laughs> so so i'm like all right so basically we built a trip to go get to go get the gun right and I say we because anytime you're at a party and then somebody says, yo, I'm going to the store, there ends up being like six guys that go to the store. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it just happens. I don't know. For some reason, it just happens. Right? Maybe that's why we used to get in trouble for dumb, dumb stuff like that. But anyway, so so I remember uh, the dude that was driving next to call him Big Birdo. Not, looked nothing like me. It was just his name was Roberto. My name is Alberto. And he was a big, he was a big hairy Mexican dude. And um, he was cool, though. And and it was me and it was, you know, the black cat, um, the guy, Little Wolf, I talk about all the time. Uh, he was there. And and so uh, we also had two females in the car. And, you know, with that being said, you know, we were careful in the sense that we weren't trying to get into trouble or do dirt, so to speak, with women around or with people that weren't involved in the gang. So that was even more incentive for us to be like, you know, reserved, not getting into trouble. You know, we got two girls here, like, let's just keep it on the task that we had planned, which once we decided we had to go, you know, I had to go get the gun. The task at plan was just to stop at the store, get some soda, bring it back. Right. So this is the setting. All right. We get into the van. 
we're driving to go get the gun. We get the gun. Now we got to stop at a store. We stop at a store. We get, you know, just things for the party, like ice and, you know, soda and, and whatever it is. So <clears throat> naturally on the way back, because we lived on like 18th and Grant. Okay. Now you remember one nine neighborhood is 19th and Lincoln, all that area over there is basically our hood. It's basically where we're from. So, mm-hmm. you know, even though we didn't have nobody living there, obviously it's still our neighborhood. We don't want nobody there that don't belong there. So anyways, naturally what we do is we're driving through our neighborhood on the way back to 26, right? I don't know how well you know the South Side. I'm sure some of the listeners may or may not know. But uh, the way it's set up over there on 19th and Lincoln, right, is you got Lincoln, the busy street, and then you got Grant. Those streets were in parallel. And then obviously 19, 20, 21, 22, right? Well, in between valleys in, in that area specifically, like 18th, you know, 19th, 20th, and in this case, between 19th and 20th, there's an alley that runs parallel to Lincoln, but then it also breaks off into T. So you can go you know, perpendicular um, towards Grant. So I say all that to say, you know, we went through the Malleys a lot. It's our neighborhood. It's, you know, especially when we were trying to get away from the cops, it was super cool because there's so many ways to run, right? But anyways, so we're driving through, we get in between 19th and 20th. We see like a crowd by, by the T area, right? Where, the, where the, the alley splits off. There's like a little crowd of people there. Right away, like my sensors go up, you know, these dudes are in our neighborhood. <clears throat> so as we drive through them, you know, they're not really moving. You know, we're like driving slowly through the alley, just kind of, you know, we're being polite, respectful to whomever, which just looks like normal people driving through the alley. But the whole time I'm looking to see who these guys are. And so I see him and, and um, I don't recognize nobody, but anybody that's been in the street or knows the street, you know what different gangs look like. You know, mm-hmm. like you just it, it's not like it's instinctive. Like, oh, that's this or that's that. Or, you know what I mean? And, and so I knew these guys were either MPs or BPs. MPs are Mexican Posse gang members. BPs are Brown Pride gang members. Both of them are Sereños and they're similar. They're like linked up together and they hate kings. Long story short, right? So, um, <clears throat> so I see them and I'm like, okay. So naturally we go from, we get to the street on 20th and we just keep going up to the next alley. So while we're driving up to the next alley, I tell Big Bird, I'm like, yo, just drop me off right here. Now, all the guys in the car, they know what time it is, right? They know I just, I want to go. I want to shoot these guys up, you know, and I'll meet you guys back at the house. You know, you guys take the girls. That way nobody knows. That's the plan. They know that by me saying, let me out. You know, that's how in sync we were when it came to things like that. Big Bird was like, all right. He starts pulling over a little bit. And then Wolf's like, hold on. Wolf's like, hold on. He goes, that's my cousin over there. So... I'm like, your cousin? I'm like, your cousin's a BP? He's like, yeah, bro. He's like, that's my cousin. I recognize him. So I'm like, all right, we'll tell them to move around. You know, tell them they got to go. They can't hang out. And so he's like, all right, all right, I'll tell them. So you got to remember, right? I think we talked about this in an episode before with like friends and family and other gangs. Right. And, um, and how it gets kind of touchy. And, you know, you can't just blatantly hurt a Latin King's family, even if they're rivals. You know, there has to be some sort of threat there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that was why we pivoted right away. And I'm like, all right, we'll just go tell them to leave then. No problem. So he's like, all right, now you got to remember, here's the caveat, right? I've explained this before. Wolf isn't the brightest bulb in the chandelier, right? He's just not. <laughs> he's not He's not somebody that, you know what I'm saying, that you, you're going to depend on to solve a problem. But this is his family. It seems as simple as just having a quick chat with him, and that's it. But it didn't work out that way. So we're parked right there in the alley up, right? And we're watching him watch Wolf walk over there, and there's a conversation. And you can obviously look by body language how a situation progresses. And I start seeing, I see it progress. 
with the body language of the guys that are there. There's maybe like seven of them. And then the body language of Wolf, right? So I'm like, all right, let me go make sure he's okay, right? Now it's my responsibility because I have the gun. My responsibility to make sure he's okay. That That's just kind of how it goes, right? And so I walk over there. As soon as I get within earshot to hear what exactly is being said, you know, I hear immediate disrespect. You know, fuck you, Wolf. You know, like, we don't care about this neighborhood. They're basically disrespecting everything to do about what's going on over there, right? So I'm still kind of apprehensive about what I want to do, you know, because the situation at hand is Wolf's cousin. I don't know which one it is. Who knows? Right. It could be any one of them. I tell Wolf, I'm like, all right, let's go, bro. I like grab him by, you know, his arm. I'm like, let's go. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and so when like Wolf's, he's still engaging in an argument with these dudes, you know, and he's still talking. He's talking. He's like talking over me as I'm like, yo, let's go. I'm trying to turn him around. He's not turning around. We're backing up a little bit. So then we start backing up. These guys start walking towards us. You know, they're within like 10 to 12 feet, I'd probably say. Yeah, 10 to, maybe 12 feet. So I can see them walking towards us, you know, as I'm moving Wolf. And they 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 picked up their pace a little bit and I pulled out the gun, you know. So I just pull out the gun, just put it on the side. I ain't pointing at him yet. I just pulled out, put it on the side. I'm like, Wolf, let's go. He's kind of like, man, you know, he's kind of like a little bit now he's in gangbanging mode, you know. So he starts like throwing up the crown. He's like, man, you know, so that switches my mentality. When I see his energy, I match his energy. You know, I see that he's targeting these guys. Now it's not a friendly, it's not a family. For all I know in my head, he could have went over there and his cousin wasn't even there. And he was just telling them guys, hey, listen, I know such and such is time for you to go. So all these things are kind of going through your head when you're dealing with the situation. As Wolf starts being aggressive, I kind of turn towards him now. And when I turn towards him, I got the gun. I hear somebody like, oh, you want to get a gun, right? But in Spanish. And like, I'm not, obviously I don't speak Spanish, but I understand a lot of it because I grew up around it. I knew what he was saying. And he started moving towards the van that was parked off, you know, behind the alley. And then when that happened, my natural reaction was just, I, you know, I pointed at him. I started shooting. Boom. The guy, other guy started moving towards me. I started shooting. I saved a couple for the run. And I grabbed, I grabbed Wolf. And I'm like, yo, let's go. And we get back to the van. <clears throat> and then we take off. So a lot of things happen in that, in that story right there. You know, a lot of things that I guess shouldn't have happened. They just coincidentally happened. Number one, I shouldn't have had that gun, right? I mean, that wasn't my gun. It was, it was, uh, it was one of the, the top guys' gun. However, the circumstances of me having it, it was legitimized. It wasn't like, you know, I went to go get it to move it. I was going to bring it back over to 26. It just so happened in between that time frame, something like this happened. So I was in the right there. Um, next thing behind that is, okay, now the fallout from is this Wolf's, is who, who is Wolf's cousin in this? You know, where does he, where does he, uh, What's his place in this, so to speak? And how is it going to carry over, right? So when we get back in the van, though, Wolf was ecstatic, you know? Like, he was like, yeah, you know, he's like, man, we got them dudes. You know, just everything you can think of under the sun. And, you know, King loved this and King loved that. And I'm like, all right, cool, yeah, so no problem, right? Um, the next day, I uh, <clears throat> I was walk. I remember I walked back to Chico's house right along the same path where that happened at. And so, you know. I guess that's a true statement. They say people that commit crimes, they go back to the crime. <laughs> it's the dumbest thing in the world, right? Like, why would you do it? Would you? I guess it's a legit thing. And, uh, and so I walk through. I mean, I don't see nothing. There's not like tape up or nothing, right? And um, But I get back. My, my point of saying that is once I got to Chico's house, I start hearing Chico. Chico tells me, hey, Wolf's telling all. He's telling the brothers, like, if his cousin dies, that he's going to kill you, right? So that changes them, that statement right there 
small. It can be a joke. It can be however. The statement right there put him in the worst position he could possibly think of because, you know, not only did I basically save his life in this situation, he threatened the life of a king, right? So Wolf was all the way wrong in this situation, <clears throat> but it's going around. This is what he's saying to people, right? So naturally that's got to be taken care of. And um, I remember we ended up, obviously he ended up catching a violation for that, for the threat. And uh, I never had any repercussions behind having a gun, understood, you know, what I did. And so uh, case right there, it wasn't um, prosecuted at that time. I never got brought in for questioning. <clears throat> I was never even a suspect. No gun, no nothing. Uh, that was in 2001. Like I said, it was like six days before my birthday. So, you know, whatever, a couple of years go by. And then the situation happened where we end up getting locked up. I think I was talking about that last week when the... Uh, you know, we got our whole uh, our whole hierarchy got locked up. The Inca, the Kasinka, and the Enforcer, and and so that's when I actually got charged with that crime. Was two years later. They brought me in. You got to remember, at this time, I'm 15, right? And and so yeah, I was a street guy, and I understand what the street entailed. And and um, up until that point, I always knew you don't you don't say nothing to law enforcement. You 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 know you kind of you stay, you keep your mouth shut, and you win a lot more than you lose. <clears throat> and so. Going in thinking like that, you know, I knew that so much time had passed from that. And so I knew the gun was never caught, you know, I, and I knew there was, you know, there was a lot of, of variables, I guess you would say, a circumstantial evidence that could have helped me, right? I mean, maybe, maybe I could have been pointed out in the lineup, who knows? But in my mind, going into that, I thought that would never be a case that would be brought against me. I get into the interrogation room and uh, the guy, you know, longstanding detective that I ended up, you know, actually having a relationship with and having a having to consult with and talk to all the time because of my situation. Um, at this time, he was just chasing kings and trying to put them away. Right. And so he comes in, he goes, hey, listen, we got you this time, man. You know, and uh, I kind of chuckle. And he's like, he's like, no, we got you, man. He's like, you know, I, you know, I've done my fair share of chasing you guys around. You know, they had a nickname for me and my brother. And, you know, you know, we, we had recognition where we were at. And so he goes, listen, I got you this time. And I go, listen, I heard that before. You know what I mean? I've been down here many times. I got nothing for you, right? So he goes, okay, don't worry about it. I'll be right back. He leaves. He's gone for about two hours. This is the mind game that they play, right? It's the, mm -hmm. it's the, you know, it's the tactic. It's the, you know, it's the tradecraft, so to speak. You know what I mean? This is what goes on. Uh, let you think about you being got for two hours. And it worked. It worked. Because <laughs> it worked because in my mind, I was like, man, how does he got me, right? And then he came back. And he slapped some paper down on the table and he's like, here you go, man. This is for you. And he's like, I'm going to let you make your decision. So I read it. It's the police report. You know, it's the description that the people that were on the crime scene gave that vaguely described me. But you couldn't. I mean, anybody that could have it could have fit anybody. But then, as always, just like in the, the story about when I read the discovery for my indictment, I get to the back part of the. <laughs> and there's an informant. The, uh, yeah, I get to the back part of the, of the police report. And, of course, there's a. A one page statement and the one page statement is, uh, you know, describing the whole event, what happened and and basically just pointing me out as the shooter. And sure enough, signed at the bottom by my good old friend, uh, Little Wolf. And so you know, I wish I could just blast his name right now, but, you know, I'm not going to do it. You know, at some point, maybe I will. But uh, <laughs> he knows who he is. And anybody who listens to the story that's been around knows who he is. He's a he's a he's a character. But anyway, so, yeah, so uh, I see it and I had never been in that situation before. I had been in situations where I got pulled in for shootings, you know, a few times. 
And I usually just didn't say nothing. They didn't have nothing. So it ended up being a, you know, catch and release kind of thing. To have them show me a statement with the guy that was standing right next to me, I didn't really know. I didn't really know how to handle that. My best move would have been just to not say nothing again, right? Because it still was old. They still didn't have a gun. And I would have had a pretty, pretty good chance of beating it. It would have just took Wolf to testify on me. Obviously, that would have been uh, a matter of, I guess, what the jury would have said. But but anyway, so yeah, so that's that's the case I ended up getting caught for. Um, and I ended up just, yeah, I admitted to it after I seen the statement. Ended up going going to DT and then eventually going to, to Wales. And so that was the actual case that took me down and took me out of the street for a while. It's probably the best thing for me, though. I mean, because things only heated up as, as you know, I went in, you know, things started going crazier in the street. You know, nothing changed, nothing slowed down. You know, it's like a spoke in the wheel, man. You know, you just you just keep moving. And so uh, there's a whole lot to talk about. <laughs> so, yeah, the, first, <laughs> the first thing I want to know is so it, it sounds like you got there, you got out of the car, you went over to Woofie and you were trying to get him out of this situation. Yeah. So now was had Woofie gone along and left with you, would that have been? Like would would your was your plan that that would have been the end of it? You guys would have gone, gotten back in the car, and left, or is that not an option because they're on your turf and you're telling them to get out of your turf and they're not leaving? No, we would have definitely gotten the car and left, but but I would have came back. The object at that time would have been to get the situation under control while the girls were there. You know, the situation was not to our benefit. You know what I mean? Like as far as witnesses or as far as just everything that was going on, you know, the less people that are there to see it, the better, obviously. Right. So my plan would have been, okay, let's leave. And then even if we go all the way back to 26, like I'll walk back down to 19th. It wasn't that far. And I used to do it all the time. So, um, you know, my ultimate goal would have been to patrol my neighborhood. You know I mean? If those guys are in there, they got to go. Okay. So then, so it was actually Wolfie's cousin yeah, that how, you ended how, up how, shooting. How, what kind of lucky shot is that, right? Like there's seven guys out there and I hit him. Yeah, you, I hit happened him. To, you had no I idea who he I was. No and you just, it I've just never happened. seen any one of those guys in my life, man. Like they just came from a soccer game or something. I don't know. Like literally, I've never seen any one of them. So, and then, so then you said that it's two years after before, before they ever bring yeah. you in for this. So I'm assuming that Woofie got caught for something else and was using this as leverage to get a deal. Is that pretty much how it yeah, played see, out? Or, yeah, or you've been, you know you've been learning it? a lot. You've been learning a lot listening to me, man. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> uh, he got caught with, uh, here's a surprise, with one of our guns. He got caught with one of our guns and uh, he was locked up. I wish, I, you know what? I wish I could Google how many guns this dude got caught with. And it's like, just, you know, he's an idiot. But, um, so, yeah, he got caught with one of our guns and then I, he was going to go do some time. And I think he was pegged right in the shooting because obviously his cousin recognized him. Right. So his cousin, when he gave a statement about what happened, he's like, yeah, my cousin was one of the one was with the guy that was the shooter. So they had him in that aspect. It wasn't like he came and he just spilled the beans on me. Right. But, you know, they came in with the fact that, hey, your cousin just told me you were one of you were with the guy that was a shooter. Who was it? You know, and um, obviously they leaned on him enough to where he he buckled. And, you know, this, listen, like, I, I think, like, I think back to this time and um, I felt like I was doing the honorable thing, right? Like, uh, you, you know, I kept my mouth shut. All right, I, I'm whatever, like, I'm going to do the time. And I exposed um, a rat all in once, 
right? All in one motion. And so I did my best to push that out there about about Wolf and his statement and what he said. And because I didn't go to trial, I didn't have access to the paperwork. So I didn't have black and white paperwork on it. But Wolf actually told um, our Inca at that time, the dude Jay, he actually told him, hey, listen, yeah, I, I said it, right? But I wasn't going to testify. You know, all he had to do was go to trial and he would have beat it. What the hell kind of dumb right? <laughs> cover is that, right? Like, I, I don't understand. Like, oh, okay, that's my <laughs> fault then. My, that's my fault, right? Like, that's my fault. I should have seen that, what you were doing. All right. And so I, 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 you know what I'm saying? And But the, the, the sad part is that the wolf ended up still going up north. And he was actually in like Fox Lake. He was there with Jay and he was, he was there with Boy. And they did nothing to him. They gave him a pass, you know. And uh, <clears throat> the part that made me mad is that, you know, Boy, Boy was like one of the founders of 19. I got a lot of love for Boy. You know, obviously he probably feels different about me now, but he was a good guy. Just had a good heart. He wasn't like a street, like in the street all the time, nothing like that. He was like, he was a moneymaker. And, uh, but he had a good heart and he cared about a lot of young guys and shit, you know, to help him get on the feet and shit. So. Anyways, they didn't do nothing to, to Wolf. And I remember Boy had sent a, a like a kite down to me because I was the Inca in Wales at this time. And he sent the kite about 2-Bit. And he said that 2-Bit actually told on one of the guys that was up there. 2-Bit was a king from Wild Walker. And one of the guys that was up there, I knew him as well. Um, and so when he sent that, he basically wanted me to give 2-Bit a violation. And... Um, because Tubit was, he was there with me. He was actually my celly at the time. I didn't know this. Though. I didn't know the facts of the, of the statements or what he said. And so when I got the kite, I'm like, all right, you know. And the way these kite things work, right? Like it's not, don't, it's not what you think. He's not sending it in the postage to me, you know, directly to me in Wales. Like, no, it'll be read by 20 different cops before it gets to me. Basically, it's a kite that he manages to get to the street. The street gets it to, you know, somebody who's coming up there. Like in this case, my brother always used to come to see me. So I got the information that way. So you said that that wolf or that you got a kite. Can you explain what a kite is? So a kite is just a, it's basically like a handwritten letter. It's a way for you know guys to communicate without all the wrong people getting their eyes on it. A lot of times, if you're getting a kite from somebody, it's because it's something that's serious. You know, obviously, it's something that they don't want a bunch of people to know about. And obviously, they don't want law enforcement to read it. So, yeah. So going to that, you know, Boy had sent me a kite basically saying that 2-Bit cooperated on, the, on this guy that was up there. And the guy that was up there, he was a Sawyer, uh, which is a, just a different chapter. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, I knew the guy and obviously I knew 2-Bit. And I was in a tough spot because, you know, obviously, just like they... Even though Wolf admitted to what he said, they didn't have the paperwork that um, I see. And in this, and I, and they use that, right? They use that to their benefit to not really do nothing to Wolf. And in this case, I was in the same situation. I didn't have the paperwork that said Two Bit cooperated on this other guy. Um, however, because it came from Boy, it's different. Boy was a good friend of mine, and I got a lot of respect for Boy. And so, you know. Me being the Inca in Wales at this time, I made the decision. Uh, I wasn't going to like treat him like a flake or Exum based on what I was told um, because of the environment I was in. You, you don't really want to do things like that when you're, you know, 
incarcerated, like things like that get handled when you're there. But it was just a different circumstance that I was under. And like I said, I also had in the back of my mind, you know, this guy was with me when I committed my murder. So all these things, they come into play, you know, like, you know, you want to be as official as you can with regards to the Constitution and the manifesto and all that thing. But you also want to be careful on how you approach certain situations when you got your own self-interest at heart. I explained it too bit. Hey, listen, man, you know, this is what's going on. This is what the word is. He didn't seem shocked. So to me, I felt like he was guilty um, that he did cooperate. Uh, but like I said, I still handled it a little differently. We gave him like a 45 second violation or something like that. And uh, and I told him that he's going to have to deal with his own chapter when he gets out. You know, nine times out of 10, that's that's a good way to go. You know, because he was from Wild Walker, I was from one nine. Obviously, I had uh, what they call you have the house. That means you run the whole the whole facility. But you know, it's still you know when you know people are getting out, you can handle things like that accordingly. So that's how I handled two bit. But that is not how Wolf got handled on my behalf. You know what I mean? And so I think that was one of the first eye openers, so to speak, um, that I probably should have paid more attention to, but I didn't. But go ahead. You, I think you said, did you say that you were the Inca at, um, yeah. What do you call it? Wales. Okay. Yeah. So, so there's like a whole basically does, how do I explain this? Does basically when you go to a place like Wales, do all the Latin Kings become kind of another chapter? And then there's a whole hierarchy structure in. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Anytime you get locked up, there's, uh, there is a ready-made chapter whenever there's Latin Kings, whenever Latin Kings are present, like there's automatically a structure. And no matter if you're from different areas or states or whatever it is, when you're incarcerated, you naturally, you know, come together. So, and yeah, you have to have a higher, you have to have a structure because that's how um, you stay organized and you communicate, uh, you know, from different prison to prison or prison to home or home to prison. And that's why it's always important because everything needs to be intertwined and, you know, no loose ends. Such a complex system you got got going on there. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and it's important, you know, it's important. Like uh, you would think, okay, what as a juvenile, right? What is it like you would look uh, and be like, as a juvenile, what do you need to be a a gang leader for in Wales? You know what I mean? Like that sounds so childish and pathetic, but in our situation, everything was life or death, man. Our situation, it wasn't like we were doing it for, you know, some Mickey Mouse clubhouse. It was real life. People were dying. People were getting hurt. And Mm -hmm. um, if there wasn't communication, even more people get hurt. And I'm not just talking about hurt physically. You know, you get hurt from people that are cooperating. And so the more communication you have going around, the more that you know, the more that everybody else is known, the more that everybody else is aware. You know, examples are like when I was in there, it was important to have communication from the street because, you know, we would hear, hey, listen, uh, this dude's getting locked up make sure you take care of him or he's in here, like look out for him, you know, because there's guys that come up there that I never met. I never knew. And, uh, you know, it, it, you know, I was kind of a, a little bit of a stonewall kind of guy and just let anybody come in. And so they would have to have credentials or they would have to have somebody from the street. My brother telling me, Hey, yeah, listen, he's good. You know, so take care of him. And also in a situation where guys might've, maybe a guy was getting locked up for shooting at a King It happened to us before. With this LF dude, he shot a he shot he shot one of uh, a Sawyer on uh, 12th and Greenfield. He came up there as soon as we found out he was up there, and he made it to a regular cottage. He got violent. He got beat. And so th- those are the things that it's important. It was important for us because the more coordination, the more everything that needs to be handled gets handled. So 
when so you decided to give this guy like a 45 second beat down because you weren't really sure of the what you were told right so now when you got out of wales you said this guy was a wild walker yeah. right yeah. so was there any was there that the chance of repercussion for the wild walkers for not giving him a severe enough penalty or is just kind of the rule of thumb that because you were the Inca in Wales, they had to respect the decision that you made. Yeah, no, there would never be no backlash for what I did just based on who I was. Like I always had a good name with almost all the chapter, every chapter they knew who I was. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like they were going to doubt the reason why I did it or, you know what I mean? And, uh, and, and to be honest, like, if anything, I was in the right and, you know, to follow up when he got out, he should have made it a point to go to the guys that were left over there because Wild Walker were few and far in between. But he should have made a point to go over there and say, hey, listen, these are the allegations. If, if he was real about who he was and if he was telling the truth, he would go and say, hey, listen, these are the allegations against me. I'm disputing them and move forward from there. But obviously – if he's guilty, he's not going to want to do that. And when he got out, he just kind of swept it under the rug. And, you know, he was around for a little bit. But but you you kind of pause how you are around him. But at that, at that time, you know, I made this statement a long time ago about, you know, you have these love and this love for people. And you accept them in almost automatically without really vetting them and, and finding out what their true worth is. And then something like what happened with me happens. And now this dude holds my life in his hand because he knows about a murder I committed, you know, and you got to treat him differently. And so, but, you know, true enough to form when we got indicted, obviously he cooperated on me, told on me. Right. So it didn't matter, but that just goes to show, man, you put yourself in these dynamic situations where you think that it's twofold, right? You're proving yourself to people, you're protecting the people you love, but at the same time, you don't understand on the other side, you just made yourself completely vulnerable basically a target for anybody that gets in trouble and a scapegoat in a lot of situations. But, you know, that's, it's, it's impossible to know that ahead of time, you know? So um, everybody's going to say, well, just don't join the gang then. Yeah. That sounds like <laughs> so, yeah. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I wish I would have knew that. Right. So, <laughs> and once that. you join that gang, it's kind of a little too late after the fact. So once you, once you figure it out, it's just way too late to undo it. So, yes. so you said that, okay, so you shot Wolfie's cousin, you said in the neck, correct? Yeah. Yeah. But he survived? Yeah, he survived. Wow. I was charged with, I was charged with a first degree recklessly endangering safety. So, um, it wasn't like attempted murder or nothing like that. And uh, so, yeah, I was charged with that and they sent me to Wales. It's basically a two year sentence, you know, a year with a year extension. So now... Looking back at it, did you were you lucky with that sentence? Because that seems pretty light. I was lucky, right? But there was a bunch of um, – I almost didn't go to Wales. I really shouldn't have went to Wales. I mean, uh, you know, not saying I shouldn't have went because I didn't deserve to go to Wales. I'm saying I shouldn't have went to Wales because I had the opportunity not to. Because leading up to my sentencing, they were actually considering putting me on probation. And the reason why, because, yeah, let's, let's say, yeah, it's a serious crime. But you got to remember, at this time I was 15 – and I was charged for something I did when I was 13. And there had been a, a lot of time lapsed and looking at like, okay, he was just a kid. You know, they didn't know that I was obviously still in the mix and doing all this other crazy stuff. So mm -hmm. they were actually going to let me go on probation. But a week before her, um, my sentencing, the Department of Correction goes out to my house to make the home visit. And obviously this is still like, you know, my brother still has a bunch of the, of the kings over there and, 
you know, my dad was in the hospital at the time. So it wasn't like he was there. Like, you know, if my dad was there, there'd be a lot. It wouldn't be it'd be calm. You know, people wouldn't be doing whatever they wanted in the house. But but anyway, so they came to the house and they knock on the door and nobody answers. All they hear is the door lock. So it's like my brother. Yeah. So it's like my brother and them inside, and they're all nervous. They don't know who it is. It's like some formal people, and they were like, you know. So they wrote in the report that, and then they said, "Oh, we smell marijuana smoke," and so they wrote those things in the report. Nobody ever answered the door. So when I went to to sentencing, the judge was like, "Well, unfortunately, due to the fact that we couldn't verify your residence and do a home check, I have to sentence you to to Wales." And so I almost didn't go to Wales, but yeah. So so I ended up I ended up getting that sentence for that. As light as it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was, uh, I don't know. I, I think, I think for, for that kind of crime, you know, if I'm being honest, yeah, I probably should have did a little more time. All right. Well, we again, thanks everybody for tuning in. We will be back next week with another episode. And as always, if you have feedback, comments, questions, please do reach out to us at normalizedcrime at gmail.com. Thanks everybody for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to Normalized Crime. Stay tuned for the next episode.